0: Hello and welcome back to Division 1 Rejects. This is episode 7. Today we've got a pretty packed episode. A lot of great conversation. Uh, first we'll be joined by a buddy of mine from Findlay University down in Ohio. They're part of the Division 2 Conference of the GMAC, the Great Midwest Athletic Conference. And then we will get into talking about how the Paul Bunyan Trophy is back in East Lansing. Michigan State pulls off the unreal upset against Michigan. I can't wait to talk about that. I know Zach can either. And then we'll go into a little bit of NFL talk at the end. So stick around. The Detroit Lions go back to what they do best, and that is being the Detroit Lions, unfortunately, as that is. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are number one in the Week Nine power rankings for the NFL. And I think that's totally deserved. They totally deserve that because of the way they played this past weekend. And that team is looking unreal right now. But otherwise, this podcast is recorded on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, hello. But if not, tell friends to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or I think like 10 other platforms. So if they listen to a podcast, our podcast is going to be on it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Let's get to that interview with Isaac Kinney from Findlay University. Joining us on this episode of Division One Rejects, we have freshman middle linebacker from Finley University in Ohio, one of the best teams in the great Midwest Conference. He was an All-State player at the high school level and a former teammate of mine at Lake Royan High School, Isaac Kinney. What's going on, Isaac?
1: Hey, how's it going, Toby? I'm doing pretty good.
0: Doing pretty good, man. I know you're uh, beefing up down there in Ohio. What are they feeding you boys?
1: Uh, we got like a pretty sweet meal plan that you get to pick that you want and they come in, they weigh you. They don't like what you weigh. They'll give you like a meal plan of what you should be eating <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So I came in a little light, but they beefed me up pretty fast. With our, you're, always, uh,
0: you're always talking about your brother Sam and how he went up to uh, Michigan Tech and put on like 40 yeah. pounds. You trying to catch up to him or what?
1: No, not too much. I, I got to make sure I'm faster
0: than him still. So hell yeah, I love that. Now he's he's at a, not to get off track here, but he's at more of a defensive end spot than you are, right? Playing middle linebacker. Yeah. There.
1: Yeah, he, he was playing middle linebacker in high school, but then they moved him to the end because they thought that's where he would be best at.
0: Tough as hell to play against both of you guys. I mean, in practice at least. Thankfully, I got to play with you guys <laughs> um, on Friday nights. But you were both being recruited by Gleak schools, you yourself especially, uh, with a big draw coming from Michigan Tech. Obviously, the pull from your brother being there and um, just an overall interest from the Huskies who offered you and what was it about Finley that made it the right choice for you? I know both those schools are really high up on your list, and that was you know really going to determine where you ended up. Was it um, a lot about the academic side of things and what you are majoring in?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's what it was. Uh, uh, what I wanted to do was just get a bachelor's in marketing, and Michigan Tech offered that. But to also get like a, a minor in graphic design, and Michigan Tech has something fruity going on with that they didn't have like a strict they didn't have like a strict thing where the coach is like yeah we have that but so I didn't know what was going on there I knew Finley had it so that's why I committed there
0: yeah, I love that. I mean, I was in a super similar situation as I'm a multimedia journalism major, and that's something that not every school offers, unfortunately, like a broadcasting program, TV and radio and the like. And Michigan Tech was the same thing. They are a STEM school, engineering, and they have to really focus on those areas for their recruitment of kids. And for them, like the communication department was just not there. And that it sucks for them because then that really limits the amount of kids they can pick up. Yeah. But, I mean, how important is that? You know, obviously we want to play football as long as we can, but the academics really have to come first and a priority. And I'm glad that you did that in choosing Finley. You've uh, enjoyed it down there so far.
1: Yeah, so far so good. The first week I was here, I was kind of just like, "All right, so when do we start doing the football stuff?" So it's you get a little lost, yeah. it's just like, "Okay, what do I do? I'm living on my own, and I don't really, I don't have a car. I didn't come down here with a car, so yeah, just kind of." walking around campus so it took a little bit to adjust to but once you figure out where things are at it's fun.
0: That's good and you guys were in a routine for a bit doing a lot more than we were as far as team practices and lifting and organized group uh, sessions and everything but why don't you talk a little bit about the news that you got when I was texting you the other day.
1: Yeah so just recently there's been COVID outbreaks that have happened all over campus and it's just been something that just keeps increasing and doesn't seem to change and a lot of it is I'd say students going out after coaches say, don't like just stay with your group of friends. Don't go to like a big party or something like that. And then there's always the, uh the freshmen that are like, screw you dude. Like I do what I want. <laughs> and, and you can see that like come to effect because I just recently got out of like a week and a half quarantine yeah. due to like half the coaches actually having COVID. Holy so it was sh- weird to see that. And then we came back. And after a break that long, they wanted to jump right back into full pads, like full hitting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a problem with that, but a lot of kids are just like, what's the point of it? We got two more weeks, two to three more weeks. And then we go on a break till January 18th. Yeah. So. That's, so a, that's, a bunch of like yeah. the leaders of the football team talked with the, uh, the coaches and were like, Hey, this is how like the kids feel. We, feel like we should just like not practice till January eighteenth. So it's kinda like everyone came together and talked about it, but it was something that surprised me. I thought we were gonna get like at least a week. I mm-hmm. knew that it was gonna get shut down, but
0: Yeah. And that's it, good that yeah. you know your team captains, like you said, the guys on the team were comfortable enough to go and really bring up their concerns to the coaches because we've seen during this season at all levels, obviously all football programs are having to deal with this disease, this pandemic, but Even professionals, guys in the NFL, have, like, um, not have that confidence and that comfortability to go and um, speak to their coaches. So that's at least a a plus side of, I guess, that situation, even though to January 18th, that is a long time without any type of football activities. And for a lot of guys, I know – you know, school is obviously very important to them. You know, you're going to college to get an education. But for a lot of guys, they're there to play football. And school as well, yeah. but they're there to play football primarily. So how do you see that playing out? I know here, we've been canceled for a while, and we're seeing more and more guys go home and just really focus on those online type of classes. And yeah. the campus life has been very different.
1: Yeah, I see that come into effect now. But the thing that I see that affects all of these uh, the student athletes the most is, that they kind of just got down with school and football with, but with football being gone, they're like, Oh, I have all this time, but they don't really realize how much they're eating up. Yeah. And so I'm planning on maybe in like the next few weeks or so after I like talk with my teachers, like, Hey, is it okay if I can go online? Because okay. if there's absolutely nothing here, because I don't live too far away. Yeah. I've gone home a couple weekends, but it's something that, Definitely changes the feel of the campus of what's going on. Just because it's when all your football friends leave, you kind of notice like, oh, I've never noticed that person before. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a small campus, so yeah, when the gotcha. football team leaves, it's that's like 25% of the campus, so.
0: We'll, uh we'll get back to you a little bit here. I know you were recruited by a couple teams in the Mid-American Conference, the MAC Division One here in Michigan. Um, you and I got the preferred walk-on from Central. I know Miami, Ohio was high on your list, and you were really looking there. I just wanted to ask you, because what was the difference? You had more experience than I did. What was the difference um, between being recruited by a school in the MAC as opposed to a school in the GLIAC or GMAC, if there were any that you noticed at all? Um, I'd say
1: in the GLIAC, they're more honest with you with what they're talking about because okay. they have a little bit less room to lie because, like, Division One, it's like, <laughs> yeah, come to football here and look at all this free stuff you get and look at our dorms and we yeah. we play Division One we're on TV. So it's a lot of stuff like that with a kid that doesn't know what's going on through the recruiting process, he's just going to go like, oh wow that's all cool and you kind of like forget to ask like yeah what do you have like academic wise so yeah I knew that Miami Ohio was such a highly academic school so that's that's why I was on the, the top of my list and it's just an interesting recruiting process to see how some things fall and just recruiting coaches are kind of like that one girl at the party that you <laughs> She thinks she likes you, but you know, she doesn't.
0: <laughs> she thinks she likes you, but uh she did she if she saw a better looking guy come through that door. Yeah. Especially if he's <laughs>
1: like the same size, kinda looks like you, but she just saw something else and <laughs> That's awesome.
0: I'm I'm glad you ended up where you ended up. It sounds like you're enjoying it there at least from what I've talked to you and from a football standpoint I think you're in a great position. The Oilers played a big time schedule last year. They had three ranked teams on the 2019 agenda, lost by 1 point to a powerhouse team out of fair state and then some other great team or other great games, excuse me, against in-state teams like Tiffin and Notre Dame in Ohio. Uh, what has that message been like from the coaches and those team leaders that you guys are going to step up the play this year, obviously looking to grow and win some of those big-time games? What has the message been from them?
1: It's just like we have the talent. It's like one of our monos is uh, don't like compete, dominate, and it's just something to see that, wow, we can hang with Ferris, and they were ranked second at the time when we yeah. uh, finally lost to them. And it's like, hey, we hung with uh, Notre Dame, Ohio, and they were ranked fourth, so – it's right there. It just matters to like what the kids are doing, and that's what the coaches do. They leave it up to the kids. Like, hey, like we're here. We can only coach you so much, but if you really want to win a championship, then you got to bust your ass every day.
0: Yeah, you got to buy in, and we. I think you know, not to you know, go back to relive high school, but. You and I were a big part of that. Lake Orion, we go three and six our sophomore year with a new head coach and then turn that program around and not had nothing to do with just the two of us. That was a whole team of people buying in coaches, players, everything that I'm not going to say that it was just you and I, that there's no way you could say that. But from going from that three and six to an eight and one and losing a second round of the playoffs, unfortunately, that was an awesome season and an awesome experience and um you know, thankfully, you don't have to do that really at Finley. You're coming into a program that is established. And although they are looking to grow, you talked about how much talent they have. And they've had so much talent in the past. They've had five guys drafted into the NFL in the last six years, which for a program of that size, and you said like campus isn't very large, whatever, that is so impressive. So, was that, did that have anything to do with your decision to go to Finley, looking at how some of their guys translate to the next level?
1: I mean, I think everyone wishes, like, they can make it to the NFL. That wasn't, like, something that was like, yeah, I'm going to go there because they put guys yeah, in the NFL. It's, of course. It's something that I'm obviously – I'm going to work towards it, but that's not going to be my plan A. Yeah, so, yeah, I get like, that. I came here to get the degree, and uh, the biggest thing was they have 15 headquarters just around campus, so I can have an internship by sophomore, junior year, so when I graduate, I have a full-time job.
0: And that's a mindset and, that I think you have to have. I think you're right on the, the right track there.
1: Yeah, and if, if you're if you're going D2, that is the mindset that you have to have. Yeah. Like, you can have that mindset if you're going D1, depending on, like, what school you're going to. But I think that's where a lot of kids that commit to D2 schools make that mess up because, I mean, look at how many kids Grand Valley picks up every year. Yeah. Like
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a good school. Yeah, it's, it's a good interesting program, how that all they're not going operates. There. Yeah. No, you're totally right, and... Um, go back to that, that NFL talent a little bit. You've obviously got all these guys that are super talented. You're hanging with all these nationally ranked Division two teams, but you're still playing at Donnell Stadium, which is the field that you share with Finley High School. When are you guys going to get a new field for the campus varsity athletics? Is that any time in the future?
1: Yeah, so we, we've heard like a couple things about that, like maybe this year or next year, but it's, we have a really nice practice field. Good. It's, the turf came from, like uh, – the mercedes uh dome so oh shoot it's, okay it's, it's a really it's a really nice field, but then they didn't really show me the the game field on my visit that long
0: well yeah it's not so, something you really yeah, wanted to I've, highlight too much i'd imagine
1: it's something it's nice it's oh maybe yeah. probably the same size as like hillsdale but yeah to have a yellow f that that's the one thing that i'm like can we just like paint that <laughs> so like on game days
0: but yeah oh that's awesome no that would be That'll be huge for the university. I know, like, for students and things to have on campus sports. I know, like, you guys have to, like, bust down or, like, it's, it's a hike. It's off campus, obviously, to get down there. So, having that right there with like, the practice facilities and other things will be huge for you guys. But we've talked the last couple episodes of Division One Rejects about how Ashland, who is currently in the Gliac, has been in the Gliac, and has had great success, actually, in the Gliac, winning some Gliac um, championships, is moving to the GMAC next year, which means no more Ohio football programs are part of the GLIAC. So what does this do for the GMAC in adding a proven program that's won at the D2 level and has those GLIAC championships under their belt already?
1: Yeah, it's it's something that there's probably deeper meaning to it, but that's a lot of money that they're saving from changing into that conference.
0: Yep, I believe it. But
1: I don't, like with the GLIAC, all the schools decide, um, like Saginaw Valley, Grand Valley, like. Finley and Ashland and all those and Tiffin can all like play each other and not be too far of a hike mm-hmm. Now Michigan tech and like Northern and stuff like that. Yeah. You're playing in the GLIAC. You might as well just buy a plane ticket. For that
0: <laughs> I know uh, to Ashland, it's, it's like a, well, I haven't personally done it, but hearing about it, it's like over a 14 hour bus ride to get to yeah, Ashland.
1: I think Grand Valley went up to Northern Michigan last year and they left like two days before the game started. Yeah. And it was, it just looks like something that I wouldn't really be interested in, so I don't know like the business decision behind it, but I can understand why they did that
0: yeah, me too, and it's it's it stinks because we won't have that uh that presence in the GLIAC and the team that's you know really been competing, um but at the same time, like you said, from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense i mean from from your standpoint, that's really all I've got for you today. But I did want to ask uh, if you caught—I I would assume you caught—that Michigan–Michigan State game, which is what we're going to get into uh, right after this conversation. But what went wrong uh, for the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh? I want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I personally think that the the quarterback—I don't know what grade he is, but he's—is uh, he's, is Joe Milton a redshirt sophomore? I believe. Maybe, uh, I'm going to go with redshirt sophomore. Yeah, redshirt sophomore. Yeah. Okay.
1: So yeah. He, you can tell that he's a young quarterback. And he he doesn't really trust his his wideouts that much because I did okay. He was like one for twenty six deep balls. And oh man! It it was something like ridiculous. Like you can't hold me to that uh, quote, but he only threw short. <laughs> he, he only threw like short passes, and yeah. you're not going to win a close game like that. And you can see like the frustration, and Harbaugh doesn't have the athletes as much, and. I always have respect for Michigan State because they don't get the same recruiting Michigan does, but they always find a way to keep the game close or win.
0: That's true, and that's so. something we're definitely going to talk about is the recruiting class for Michigan and how different that's been over the past couple years when compared to the Spartans. But uh, I can't thank you enough, Isaac, for coming on. Hopefully I'll see you soon. It sounds like you're going to be online and home anyways, and I'll, I'll be home here in, I don't know, like a month. I'll be staying around campus. But um, thanks for so much for coming on, boss, and I uh, appreciate it. I'll see you. I'll see you, boss. The underdog win of this past weekend. Obviously, there are so many underdog wins in college football, it seems like every single weekend, because the unpredictability, especially with the season full, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, there are so many things that could happen to every single individual program. But Michigan State, things are happening for this program. And it, after last week, we were doubters. I think I know I was, at least. Were you kind of. I mean, I, I knew that this
2: season, even after this win, it's still going to be probably a rough one. Most likely, I mean, there's no,
0: yeah, it's not, yeah, you're not going to go and just keep building every week, which I hope, I hope that's how it is, but I think it's definitely will need to be a little bit of an adjustment period, but obviously what we're talking about is Michigan State getting the win over the Wolverines from Michigan, they were a 25 point underdog U of M and they beat Michigan in the big house 27 to 24, so they, they barely scraped, scraped it out, and I think that really reflects the conservative play calling from Mel Tucker, what we saw throughout pretty much the whole game and he really he he really showed up in that game as a coach. Maybe he likes to stay in the background a lot. I know after the game, he gave all the credit to his assistant coaches, to his players, to his program, which is, he said all the things that you need to say. Exactly. So he got his first win as Spartans head coach and really shocked the world, or at least Michigan. I don't know if yeah. he shocked the world, but he shocked Michigan. What did you see from that game? Um, I really saw just something that, Mel Tucker was
2: really known for at Colorado, and he. I, I truly believe that they out coached Michigan, yeah, to be completely honest with you. I mean, if you think about it, 25 point underdog, um, U of M like consistently brings in five star recruits. And oh, yeah, I can't remember the last time state has brought in one, so it's it, a good question. It's really, like, it, it just kind of goes to show you, um, the game plan that they had put in place. Um, The play calling, they knew the weak points of U of M. They knew that their secondary was having some issues. The fact that um, Don Brown stayed in man the entire game was kind of an iffy call for me. Bold. Um, But, you know, Michigan State exploited it, and they come out with the win because of it. And I was kind of wondering, you know, during the game, I was like, well, this is kind of like a conservative play calling idea. But, like, especially right before half, um, when they don't go to take the shot in the end zone, um, they were, you know... They, they definitely were in spot to, you know, take another shot and, um, you know, had an opportunity to put the game away. But um, I think they were just trying to play conservative, not um, try and give up the ball. Especially, especially after, especially, yep, last, last week with, with so many turnovers. turnovers. yeah So, um, you know, Rocky Lombardi played really good. No turnovers, three touchdowns. And then, um, you know, the true freshman player of the week. Um, so yes. that's slick
0: Rick. Yes, exactly. So, Unreal game. Yeah, We're going to talk about all of that. But first, I wanted to obviously did a lot of reading from different news sources about the game. And one thing I really loved was the Detroit Free Press writer, Sean Windsor, who wrote about how wrong he was about the gap between the two programs. And 1st we'll say he's not the only one. I think everyone and their mother thought that Michigan was going to win that game um, on either side of that uh, contest. And he said that he forgot a basic rule of college football and, quote, don't make too much of week one or, excuse me, don't make too much of one week, especially week number one. So we showed in that week, in that game against Michigan, A, that when we didn't turn the ball over six times, and by we and Michigan State, (laughs) but when they don't turn the ball over six times, they can be a decent football team. And Michigan, in week one, maybe Minnesota didn't deserve to be ranked because that was a highly touted matchup between two big-time opponents and you know, now we're seeing that Minnesota really probably didn't have any business being ranked and it wasn't as big of a win for Michigan as we thought.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially after um, losing to Maryland. I mean, it was a close yeah. game, um, but Maryland week one got blown out by, by Northwest. Northwestern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to tell. I heard some things about Minnesota missing like six starters or something yep. like that. So yep. that's also hard to tell as well, whether or not if they have those um, playmakers back, if that's going to be a different game, which mm-hmm. it more likely probably would have been. But, yeah. um, you know, just just to go back to the Michigan-Michigan State game, how long
0: do you think Harbaugh is going to stay? That's a great – that is a great question. And I personally do not think it will be much longer. The question for me is, will it be of his own will or will it be of the university letting him go? Because as it stands right now, his record against Michigan State and Ohio State at home in the big house is 1-6 – with the one win coming over Michigan State last year, and that was a dilapidated Spartans team. That was yeah. nothing of the actual D'Antonio era that we were used to seeing. Exactly. I mean, so. A win is a win for the Wolverines, but that that's kind of just patting the stats. He really should be over at home, which is unreal. Yeah. The Wolverines have been close. They've been very close, but they have never reached that summit of a Big Ten championship or a playoff berth under Harbaugh, and that is the one thing that will continue to bite him in the butt until he's out of Michigan. He brings those khaki pants out of Michigan. So for a program who is known nationally to have one of the best recruiting classes, you already hinted exactly. at. Me, they bring in these highly touted recruits from across the country, and they always say, I mean, I sound extremely biased, which I probably am because I'm a huge Michigan State fan, but they always say that the best players in Michigan go to Michigan. Yeah. But they're always getting dudes from the West Coast and all these other states and if you're going to widen your scope of recruiting like that, you better bring in some dudes who are going to play. Exactly. And obviously they've had a ton of great players over the years. Yeah. They've had dudes transitioning to the NFL seamlessly. But they were definitely I, – I think I would agree that they were outcoached. Because yeah. you look at um, – I know – The broadcasters during the game, they made a point about how the referees were calling the game. Very tic-tac-y on the outside, very close to the belt right there. weren't really letting anything slip. So what did Michigan State do? They noticed, like you said, Don Brown was staying in man, which basically says, my athletes are better than your athletes, and we will beat you one-on-one and open up some lanes for some potential pass rushers. Exactly. Not only did the pass rush not really hit home for Michigan for the majority of the game, they took advantage of the outside, especially Vincent Gray, actually played in my league in high school the OAA so I played against his high school Rochester Adams uh, multiple times played against him actually he is a junior right now I believe and I think he got called for multiple holding penalties and was on the receiving end of a few of Lombardi's deep balls to uh, uh, Ricky, White. Sl- Ricky White out there who is the Big Ten freshman of the week but for the Michigan State to not only acknowledge the fact that that the refs were calling that in that certain fashion. But to immediately target that and take advantage of that in the middle of a game, that's a huge coaching move. Exactly. And I think that was a huge reason that Lombardi had the success that he had that we haven't previously seen from him. Yeah. And I, the one of the biggest takeaways for me is also that
2: Michigan State also had such a, like, one-dimensional um, play-calling idea. Like yeah. it was, um They tried running the ball a lot, but – they're, they just really weren't getting anywhere. I mean, on the first no, drive, they broke away for like beginning. 15 to 20 yards or something like that. But then after that, it was pretty much every time they handed the ball off, it was maybe three yards.
0: I will say, though, I give them credit because um, Mel Tucker, or, you know, they we're just doing the play calling, they didn't give up on the run game. They never Yeah, gave no, up they on didn't. And, they and, yeah, and so sometimes that, that would, you know, that would definitely be a detriment to a team, and like yeah. you said, like a one-dimensional like play calling. But I think that was big for them to continue to trust that run game because when you have a team like Michigan whose defense has been notoriously great, um, when you can let a, t- a defense and a team like that focus in on one aspect of your game, then and you have a you know pair that with a defensive coordinator like Don Brown who has the level of experience that he has, yeah. and you know, okay, in this down and distance they're throwing the ball. If you become that predictable, all of a sudden you've got stunts, you've got these different guys coming off the outside showing pressure and then flaking or whatever, and then your quarterback, especially for a guy like Lombardi who just does not have the experience level at this point, that would be a nightmare for him. So I'm glad personally they stuck with the run game, even though they did not have a lot of uh, success with it for the most part of the game. But even then, that opens up – Uh, Cameron Hayward had a touchdown pass. Excuse me, like swinging out to the outside, it opens up things like that. You have to honor the running back, and that's just another player that you have to take into account in a defensive scheme.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they they really exploited uh, U of M, and it was just a great, like fundamentally sound game by um, Michigan State as a whole. They they deserve the win. The exact opposite of last week. Yeah, exactly. Like it was. You are going to see the rough patches with State. um, You know, especially week one, that was. That was gonna be rough. Did I still think they were gonna lose? I I honestly thought they had no business losing. But you know that is the perfect way to rebound. Show that oh, you know yeah. Tucker means business and that um he is a great play caller. He knows what he's doing. Um and he has the experience from around the league. I mean I know I know Nick Saban was uh you know uh, talking him up a little bit. Um, yeah, a couple quotes that were on social media um about him being you know a really good coach and uh that he has the experience to take State to the next level, which I, I think he does. Um, you know, Just by judging my last game, he, it looks like he knows what he's going to do. Um, He has the right mentality for them, and I think that they're going to be in a good place come these next few years.
0: Yeah, and you know what Mel Tucker and Nick Saban have in common? What do you think? I'm pretty sure they are the only two coaches in Michigan State's history to lose their first game as a Spartan and then win their first game against Michigan. I have never heard about that. It's a but very that's it's a very unique stat. And like I say, they have stats for literally everything today. Yeah. But I saw that. I thought that was super interesting. I, I don't know if it was a bounce back win for Saban too, but for Mel Tucker, it sure was. And yeah. for his quarterback, Rocky Lombardi, who you already talked about, he had three touchdowns, went seventeen for thirty-two, three hundred and twenty-three yards. And after the game he said that we expected it. We expected the win. Yeah. And it was a mindset. And I think everybody outside of that Michigan State locker room thought the polar opposite. Exactly. Even State's
2: fans, like they they were just yeah. deteriorating by the second. Like, yeah. I, I you know I went on Twitter. Um, it's almost like watching and, a Lions game. Yeah. Exactly. Like false
0: hope almost. It it was
2: weird though, but it's it just goes <laughs> to show you. Um, You know, I I looked at some of the comments of, like, what Michigan State was playing, and it was just, like, you know, tear down after tear down, even from its own... um, Fan base. Fan base, exactly. So, it was, like, I think they needed this just to kind of give them some hope. Um, You know, fill Spartan Stadium back up, obviously, once it's allowed. But, um, you know, it was deteriorating there for a little bit. They were not selling out games like they normally were um, back when, like, you know, the era of Connor Cook and... Really like the the golden years of the the D'Antonio area. Uh, So I think that needs to come back alive. Um, I think State can become that powerhouse that they once were and um, really show that difference between them and uh, U of M.
0: Yeah, Ricky White, Big Ten Freshman of the Week. We've already said his name a few times because you really have to. Eight catches, 196 yards, and a touchdown to earn him that title. And they were without a true sophomore, Trey Mosley, who played in my league in high school as well at West yeah. Bloomfield and in, in the OAA. So a lot of these guys are coming from Michigan, playing for you know either Michigan or Michigan State. But I thought they missed Trey Mosley on the outside. He's a great yeah. playmaker. But that Ricky White, his performance – that, all that does is spread the responsibility, and I exactly. love that. And we have uh, a couple guys now that are making some really uh, big-time plays on the outside, and then we have the backfield going between Hayward and Collins and like some, some consistency, I yeah, guess exactly. is what I'm trying to say, is some consistency. And so my major takeaway from this game is that Michigan State not only showed up, but they capitalized on Michigan's mistakes, and a lot of that has to do with coaching, a lot of that yeah. has to do with playmaking, and... And that was the difference maker for me is that Michigan state didn't concede any mistakes of their own. They played very fundamentally sound football, like you said. And when Michigan, you know, messed up or took a misstep or whatever, Michigan state was there and they were there continually. And that's, I think the score perfectly reflects that in a 27, 24 win that had you on the edge of your seat pretty much the whole time. And I said, it was like a lions game because you know, we thought there was no business we should be in this game. And here we are, we're winning. And we're winning, and we're winning in a pretty good fashion. At certain points of the game, we score first. Yeah, very Lions-esque. Yeah, like what that, like that was that was something that I would have never predicted. And then you know all of a sudden I go from just laying down and kind of chilling, watching the game. I'm I'm sitting up like into this thing. Yeah, like I was ready to see where this went. So exactly, it was a great weekend for uh, Michigan State, but. A weekend, a great weekend. It was not for the Clemson football team, even though they did get the win over Boston College. uh, Quarterback Trevor Lawrence was out. He missed Saturday's game against Boston College, where the Tigers trailed by 18 at halftime against unranked. uh, Boston College, unranked. They were unranked at the time. Yeah. I mean, solid football team, solid football team, but an unranked team still. Clemson, unfortunately, for uh, what are they? Boston College. What's their mascot?
2: Uh, some bird, I don't remember. Some bird. <laughs> I think it's an eagle or something. Anyways,
0: unfortunately for Boston College, Clemson does come back. They got the win 34-28 to under a different quarterback. And Clemson did show that they have playmakers, especially Etienne, out of the backfield. He had a huge day for Clemson. I think he was separating um, the difference maker for Clemson and getting them that win. But this week, Lawrence is still in isolation. Clemson has Notre Dame, who is number four in the country, a strong team in all facets of the football, and I think this could be the first loss for the Clemson Tigers team.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really just going to um, you know, go off of how DJ Uyungle he plays. I cannot
0: believe that you just pronounced that. I avoided saying his name just because I did not even want to try.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh <laughs> that is the
0: quarterback who came in uh in you know in the absence of Trevor Lawrence. Exactly.
2: And he, he played his heart out and he played really well. Yeah. Um, agreed. But I really do think um the way that this game is gonna teeter is just based off of the way that he plays. I know Notre Dame, um, I believe they still have like all of their playmakers.
0: Um Ian as as Buck know. is their quarterback. Yep. And he is a guy that's been there for years. Exactly.
2: He's a veteran. Yeah. If you really th- in, in any uh fastest of college football, he mm-hmm. is what would be considered a veteran. Um he's been there when they made the playoffs and played Clemson actually. Mm-hmm. And they were ranked yep. I believe they were ranked what was it, uh, at the time when they played? Yeah, in the playoffs. That I don't know. I don't remember, but I do remember that. They got smacked by. It was um, probably one in four. I'm sure there's got to be some pimped up hostility from that game. Um, And, you know, Notre Dame's really going to be looking to take over. And I know somebody asked um, uh, Notre Dame's head coach, like, how it's been, what, like, the environment of Notre Dame football has been since that loss to Clemson. And I believe they've only lost three games in total. Really? Yeah, exactly. So it's like they, in their last 32 games, I believe they're 28 and three. Man. So, um,
0: that would be thirty one. Yeah, well, whatever. All you,
2: all you need to know is that they've been doing good, and they're really looking forward to this week against Clemson, trying to capitalize on their momentum and also, um, you know, the backwards momentum of Clemson losing Trevor Lawrence. It's all yep. gonna, you know, dictate of how DJ plays, but um, it's it's really gonna be telling to see, um, you know, what kind of team Dabble really
0: has. We really will see what kind of team Dabo has. This will be a statement game for them. And one of the talking points at the beginning of the season, and as it w- as it well should be, is that Notre Dame is, I guess you could say, an honorary member of the ACC this year. And now all of a sudden, with Clemson without uh, Trevor Lawrence, their quarterback, their guy, their Heisman candidate, all of a sudden ACC is not so clearly in Clemson's hands anymore because Notre Dame is right here, and this win would put them ahead. And – for me, that's something that Notre Dame has never been in one of these Power 5 conferences. They've always just been the non-conference game, even though they've had a very strong team for many, many years. Yeah. This is something for me that coming to the ACC in your first year and potentially have a season where you're going to go and win the thing outright, and that's another reason that you know they're in a really good position right now to have a legitimate chance at a playoff berth.
2: I, I think so too, um, but it's really going to show um, whatever happens this game... I think one of the teams is going to be pushed out of the playoffs. So yeah, possibly. Um, it's it's all going to depend on how uh, you know this team really plays. Whether it's Notre Dame coming out on top or Clemson, one of them is going to fall. So it's going to be really interesting. I still think either of the teams could recover and still yeah. make the playoffs, no matter what happens, unless it's a complete blowout. Um, but if the game is close, I really can see both of the, both of either of the teams um, recovering. But, um, you know, now with Big Ten and Ohio State coming into the picture, it's it's all going to, um, you know, change the picture of what really could happen.
0: Yeah, it is. And at least Trevor Lawrence does not have a 21-day quarantine like Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. And we actually yeah. just got news today. We're recording this on Tuesday, so it'll probably be uploaded Um, like on a Thursday or Friday of this week. But we got news today that Wisconsin's game against Purdue scheduled for this weekend has been canceled. Yeah. So not only did they miss out against Nebraska, now they're missing out against Purdue. And if they have one more game canceled due to COVID, they are not eligible to play in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah. How huge is that for a program that we just talked about last week was the front runner out of the Big Ten West, correct? Yeah, yeah they're in the West, and they're the best team, You know, I think, far Definitely. and away in the West and the Big Ten. So if you take out a player like that, all of a sudden you have um, really what you have is a much easier route from whoever wins the East to just take over the Big Ten. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be really interesting to see um, for Wisconsin. But one thing that I hated to see this weekend was watching my Detroit Lions uh, I only got to watch very little of the game because I hate trying to figure out how to watch football here in my dorm. It's ridiculous. Uh, usually when it's on Fox, it's out of market, and I don't have the Sunday yeah. ticket or whatever. But then now it's on CBS, and they've got their own their own streaming service yeah. and all of these things, and it just they make it so confusing. So I like, I didn't get to watch too much of it, but um, I was staying updated, obviously, and the parts that I did get to watch yeah. were concerning, to say in the least. And I said – that when I kind of went on my tirade a few episodes ago about how the Lions could be this playoff contender given their next six weeks of competition and the teams that they're going to be playing against, I did say that the Colts were going to be, by far and away, the hardest out of the next six weeks. But I didn't think we were going to get beat by 20 points. Coming off back-to-back wins, Jacksonville, and then that huge uh, emotional momentum-winning game with the last-minute drive against the Falcons, the Lions totaled excuse me, 29 yards rushing. On the game, we talked about Michigan State and how they didn't get much done on the ground. Well, the Lions went and one up them, and they did that by a lot 29 yards the entire game. Jamal Agnew, who's usually just a return specialist for Detroit, he led with 11 yards on one carry. The next leading rusher, Matthew Stafford, with 10 yards on one carry. That is the definition of a one dimensional offense. DeAndre Swift had, I think he averaged like 0.2 yards per carry, and then Adrian Peterson. Had like five or six carries himself, and he was averaging like a yard per. Yeah,
2: it, it it was hard to watch to be to say the least for at least for them. Yeah, um, I I kind of tune in and out because I was watching, um, the Packers have a rough one too. I was so. gonna say
0: we we'll talk about that in a second, um, because the Packers did not have, um, the showing that I don't think anyone expected against yeah. uh, Minnesota over the weekend, but. Uh, Stafford still put up some solid numbers in the game against the Colts, but I think when you throw the ball 42 times out of some 50 odd plays, first of all, 50 some plays is a very low number for an offense to have over the course of a game. I feel like I feel like if you hold a team to 50 some plays, you're making sure that you keep that offense off the field, and I'm sure that was part of the reason that the Colts, you know, did that. They carried on some long drives, some uh, some drives that went in, you know encompassed a large total of the field, and they wanted to keep their defense off the field as much as possible because they knew that Lions defense, I'm assuming they knew, I'm just going to speak for them, that it was a liability yeah. in certain areas. So if you throw the ball 42 times and you have a guy like Stafford throwing that said football 42 times, yeah. he's going to put up big numbers no matter what. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's any, any way around that. And exactly. he was, you know, I think he did his best to keep him in that game, but it was a terrible effort by the Lions, and it just... You know, they have Minnesota this weekend coming up, which is yeah. why I wanted to kind of transition to that Green Bay talk because I would have said, you know, two weeks ago, this is an easy win. This is a must win for Detroit. All of a sudden, Minnesota comes out of nowhere and beats the Packers on yeah. Sunday out of nowhere. What did you see in that game?
2: Um, you know, I it's really hard to tell. Um, but I, I know, you know, you know, Packers first week ended up beating Vikings by, um, I think it was like double their score. Uh yeah, and so, they they looked atrocious. Minnesota
0: yeah. did not look like they should field the football team.
2: Exactly. So um, it it's really hard to tell what really went on. Um, I didn't see you know the same output out of the Packers offense as no. what I normally would have. Um, I believe the Packers scored under thirty, which is, you know, that was mind boggling to me, especially yeah. going up against the Vikings defense. They had you know one of the worst. So it's it's hard to tell for me. I I know Packers are going to be just fine. Still 5-2. and two. Um, I mm-hmm. believe they're still at the top of um, the NFC North. But um, it's it's going to be hard um, going into these next few weeks, especially with that huge momentum drop that they had. Um, but
0: I think we'll still be fine. Because first you have a, a huge dramatic loss against the team, like the Buccaneers, right? Yeah, exactly. But then they come and bounce back, and they show up, and Aaron Rodgers showed up in particular, right? Yeah, he exactly. showed up and had huge numbers after that game. So... I guess hopefully for Packers fans at least. Hopefully yeah. you see him kind of repeat what he's done in yeah. the past and come back and show exactly. up again with that chip on his shoulder. But I
2: do think still to this day the major flaw of our defense and actually just our team in general is just our interior defense.
0: Really? Front seven?
2: I, oh, I wouldn't even necessarily say front seven. Our linebacker <clears throat> core is atrocious, and we need to fix that at some point. Interesting. Um, I'd love to see a free agent move. Um, with the
0: deadline coming up yeah, here, exactly. very soon, I'd love to yeah. see
2: a free agent or just, um, just a trade of some sort to make a move to try and, um, you know, stop some of the the running plays. Uh, Dalvin Cook had himself a day, he did, and literally carried the Vikings. <laughs> he
0: kind of did, so he kind of did, didn't he?
2: But it it was really just telling to see what was really going on with the defense. Packers offense wasn't having much of a day either. Can't you know entirely blame the defense but they did let up a lot of points which i would not have liked to see but vikings um i believe their last two losses or something like that was within one point yeah so that's true
0: that's true it's not like they've been you know like that first week against the packers where they were blown out exactly literally it's not like that's been a week by week story for them and even though they've been losing consistently it has not been those two or three score telltale games
2: so it's it's gonna be hard to see but uh packers still gonna be fine i'm Interested to see what happens to Minnesota um, from yeah. here on out, but you know they could make a run for it and at least get to their, their record well, yeah, above we'll what it should be. Yeah, we'll see about that.
0: We'll see. Um, especially right now with the Packers and the Bears kind of holding that top of the NFC North and the Lions. I don't even know what to say about them at this point, but um, we have had development in the Stefan Gilmore department. And I know we talked about um, the liability of the line secondary with Trufant still out, one of their starting cornerbacks, and Okuda being asked to come in as a rookie and really take this large role upon himself to guard some of the best talent in the league, yeah. which is something, it's a very tall ask for any rookie. I know Okuda's a very talented one at that. A 1st draft pick. One
2: of the hardest positions to play in football. And I totally Physically agree with that. demanding, especially. <clears throat>
0: yeah, I mean, just keeping up. It, when it boils down to it, the simple way of saying it is that the guy that you're guarding knows where he's going and you simply do not. Exactly. Yes. And, and you can look at, you know, whatever tendencies they have. Exactly. But, and that guy is really fast. <laughs> he's really fast. He's usually really big and he catches pretty much everything you throw at
2: him. Yeah. So it's corner is definitely nothing to. It's a tall task for Exactly. Guys.
0: But back to uh, Gilmore. We had ESPN's Deanna Rossini reported via Twitter that, quote, multiple teams who have called the Patriots about cornerback Stephon Gilmore were told by New England that they want a first round pick and a player in exchange. And we talked about this last week. It's not like they're just going to give up Gilmore all of a sudden even though they are entertaining the options of potentially trading him, you know, before this deadline comes up, but they're going to want a first round pick and a player in exchange. Is this within the Lions' capabilities at this point?
2: Um, you know, I don't really know what the Lions should do with this. Um, I don't think the Patriots are, you know, out of their minds for asking that. Because no, I don't, I don't Stephon think so Gilmore is a very high caliber player. I think he would be worth a first round pick, especially just because you know Stefan Gilmore's um, production. You know what he's gonna give you. Ninety nine overall. Yeah, exactly. It's hard <laughs> to tell, um, especially with like a rookie, yep, what you're really gonna get. So with the Lions, you know what you're gonna get with Stephon Gilmore as opposed to a first round pick where the Lions have had some issues in the past with um. Uh, yeah choosing you know their draft picks that's true. so i don't think entirely that would be a bad decision to go with stefan gilmore um to you know make an addition to. Their i team. guess it
0: all depends on right now we don't even know if the lions are actually interested they've had teams call and ask about gilmore yeah, exactly. the Patriots have but i don't think anyone's really been open about what particular teams those were yeah and how interested in fact that they were so it depends on that and it also depends on you know, the Lions, we talked about them, you know, quote, rebuilding. I always, you know, air quote that, rebuilding, right? They've been rebuilding for way too long. Decades. And if they think that this is the team that they're going to try and run with, then an addition like him is a no-brainer, right? Exactly. If you're going to try and make a run for this thing in the next couple of years here while you still have Stafford and Galladay and Marvin Jones and all these weapons, right, with this running back room that we have, yeah. um, shoring up some spots in the offensive line and, just you know, really put together that defense and that secondary. The secondary mm-hmm. is really important for them right now. If you think there's any chance that you're going to try and make a run for it, at least go make some type of playoff run in the next few years. If that's on anywhere on their goals, this is a no-brainer for them. But, and I think it has to be for Matt Patricia because he, there's already calls for him to be gone. So you can't, yeah. for him, you can't have this eight-year plan of how you're going to slowly progress the program. Exactly. It you don't have time understood. to do that. It's got to be now. Yeah. So for a guy like him... From a head coaching position, that's something you want to look into from an outsider's perspective. Obviously, we don't understand what the inner workings of that organization are. But it'd be interesting to see from an owner and GM perspective what they're thinking about that situation and if they've already made up their mind as far as after this season, what direction the organization is going to take. But are there any other potential landing spots for Gilmore out in the NFL? And uh, who do you think that would have a good shot of landing him? Um, that I really have no idea. To yeah. To be completely honest with you. Um, I think
2: any team would be willing to take. Oh, him. well, yeah, for so sure. So it's, it's really just going to be, um, I don't really know who's got the, like the weakest spot for corners. Um, obviously I think that team's going to try and go for him. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's going to be hard to tell where he'll probably land up, mm-hmm. but It's just whoever's going to have the weakest point and needs them right now.
0: And has the capabilities of getting him because I know uh, a team that I was thinking about was the Tennessee Titans, who are a team that right now are looking again to make a run, right? They're they're trying to make a run for this thing. They want to have those pieces and their defense. These last couple weeks coming off back to back losses for the Titans has been notoriously lackluster in that department, especially in the secondary. So that's a team I think could really use him. Now, do they have the cap space and do they have the ability to go after a big name target like Stefan Gilmore? I don't think so. I Uh, really don't think so.
2: I don't, I don't know if at this point it's really, um, you know, realistic for them.
0: No, probably not, but we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Uh, Tua Tokawailoa got his first NFL win over the LA Rams. Now, it's not the stat line that he was hoping for. He went 12 for 22, 93 yards, and a touchdown. And really, all this says to me is that I wish Fitzpatrick was back because I was just about to say that. Love Tua. I loved that uh, that image of him sitting on the 16 yard line, or I could have totally misquoted that, but did you see that picture after the game of him sitting on the yard line? Um, the same yard line where he had that hip injury and he didn't know if he was ever going to be play, being playing football again at any level, you know, yeah. college or NFL level. And here he is getting his first win over LA. Very proud for the kid. You know, he's older than me, but the kid relatively speaking in yeah. NFL terms. Um, but that Miami defense is what showed up big for them. The real reason why they pulled away from LA on Sunday was that defense yeah. who I guess now is one of the better defenses in the league. Yeah, exactly. Which I, I, I did not expect, but yeah. The Dolphins are in a legitimate hunt for that playoff berth, but I just go back to the fact that I just don't know if I like that move to move on with Tua so early on. I think from my perspective, right, of just a fan of the game and a fan of talent in the game, that talent that's been around – Fitzpatrick deserved one run with this team that he had helped put in this position in the first exactly. place. I think he deserved that run to go with them. He really felt like he was at home in Miami for the first time in a long time in his yeah. career. I really feel, I really feel for this guy,
2: especially because of the fact of, you know, you look at the history of where Fitzpatrick has been, yeah. all the teams that he's been, been with, um, you know, just his mentality, his experience level with the game. Uh, I agree that he was a great mentor for Tua, but yeah. for him to be taken out of the picture so early, um, and you know, not really being able to show— to, I mean, he, he can show him in practice, and I guess that's that's good as well. But to be able to watch game film of Fitzpatrick is going to be a lot more of a um, like a better. Yeah, and not even performance
0: long. just body you know mannerisms and behavior and how to how to really control a locker room which yes. I, have, I have zero doubts that tua will be able to do that in the future exactly just with her his excuse her <laughs> excuse me but with his personality um being able to control a locker room i don't think he'll have a problem with that yeah. coming from a program like alabama but for fitzpatrick like i said you really just you just feel for him and so what to me, what is the what is the downside of having him sit behind Fitzpatrick for a year like we've seen with a lot of quarterbacks? You know what yeah. I mean? Especially with a guy like Tua who's had this injury-prone history in the, la- the latter years exactly. of his college career. That was
2: the other thing that I was going to bring up. To
0: risk that, right? To risk that. And thankfully, you know, he's staying healthy, but... Right now, I mean, just give him that year of recovery to develop, exactly. not so much physically, but just mentally. Getting that playbook assimilated into his head and really learning from a guy like Fitzpatrick. Exactly, and I think with
2: the quarterback position, it's so important to be comfortable with you know, your play calling. It's so comfortable just to be comfortable with the plays in general. Knowing what an NFL defense is going to do, that's going to be where that next step is for really being prepared to play at the next level. Yeah. So with him going in so early, he's missing those key points of those experience um, where Fitzpatrick doesn't really need that. He's been in the league for so long. I don't agree with the move to, you know, bench him. I don't know what they're going to plan on doing with him, especially if Tua is going to stay in here. I don't know if they're going to try and make a trade with him again. So then now he's on another team. And I don't even know how many teams he's been on. It's been, been kind of the question. same, yeah. um, you know, story for him and somebody like, uh, like McCown.
0: Or yeah. Like that. Yeah. So, that's actually a really a really good comparison. Exactly. I think. So, and
2: he's he's been such a great mentor for really anybody in this league, um, especially with, like when he was on the Jets, he helped Darnold out. Um, but it's it's going to be harder to tell with Tua. I don't know why they would do that, especially coming off of that injury. Um, that was a grueling injury, and I think you give him a little bit more time to heal. Make yeah. sure he's really in that position to be able to play, stay healthy, and you know make the moves that we know he's really capable of and put him into the position where he's going to be successful and not necessarily throw, like, throw him into the fire, especially when you have a quarterback playing at such a high level. So I don't really know what the move with that was.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on that. So we'll kind of move on here. Uh, the New York Giants, they keep it close, but they cannot pull out the win in MetLife over Tampa Bay and uh, Tom Brady. That game looked extremely close when they were playing that. And honestly, I did not think that uh, Tampa Bay really had any business winning that game because it looked like it was all New York there for a large stretch of that game. But one thing I wanted to look at is the Giants at one point had three rookie offensive linemen in the game at once on the field. So three yeah. out of your five up front there. Are rookies, brand new, you know, being initiated to this league, and even though they're performing at a higher level as a unit right now collectively than we saw in the few first, excuse me, weeks, the first few weeks with Saquon before he had that unfortunate injury, he was getting destroyed in the backfield on just about every single carry, and we yeah. just felt for him. Um, they have elevated their play since then, but this front five has a long way to go for New York, and the narrative right now that's being formed by a few. Um, sources that I've been reading up on is that maybe Daniel Jones is the one holding back uh, New York. And I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but I think it's really more than the QB position and it comes back to that offensive line and really yeah. rounding out that offense.
2: It's really hard to tell. And I have seen a few things where it shows um, like I saw a couple of clips of where Daniel Jones hasn't really been helping out his offensive line Yeah. Um, where his movements in the pocket have um, been actually putting him in a worse position than he would have been, had him just stay in the pocket, (laughs) um, and just stay with that, you know, comfortable pocket that he had. Um, but he really likes to move around. He likes to be on the move. Um, you know, make throws on the run,
0: that's kind of his play style. Um, and that's a play style we've seen adopted by a lot of NFL quarterbacks. But exactly. going back to what you're talking about, about his decision-making in the pocket, yeah. how much of those errors and mental mistakes do you attribute to being with a new offensive line that may not have the cohesion of a unit that you'd expect usually up there? Exactly, and that that is all going
2: to come down to the experience that he's had with the O-line. Every, everybody's different, you know, um, in the way that their movements – you know, judging whether or not this guy's going to kick him out, um, you know, where the certain gaps are, um, where he can slide up, where he can push back. Just knowing what the offensive line, you know, judging off of what's going on in practice or recent games, when you have such a young offensive line, you're not going to really know what they're comfortable with, what they're really going to want to do, where they're going to want to move the guy. Um, so it it's all, I, I think it's a cumulative issue. I don't think it's just one thing that you can put a finger on and be like, yeah, this that's is typically the I feel like how it is.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, For me, though, when I'm thinking about it, obviously there is a disparity between, say, the Giants' offensive line and other teams' offensive lines in the league, skill level-wise. But you also have to think these are different people with different personalities, and they're going to interact in different ways, right? That's just how it is. That's how the business is. And they're all professionals about it. And you like to think that you know, when you take somebody out, you're going to have a replacement immediately. He's going to come in and do his job and fulfill his duty. But the way that he interacts with the other four offensive linemen may be different because a lot of that – up on the offensive line is all about communication and really being able to effectively communicate with the other people and know what you're doing before that play happens. Exactly. The Steelers, though, the Steelers are putting together something that has been, I guess, you could say, surprising. Because yeah. I mean, you knew that with Big Ben coming back, that they were going to be legit this year. They were going to be, um, they were going to field a legitimate team, especially after last year, um, going eight and eight without a pretty much a real quarterback. Right, Mm -hmm. But right now, they're the only remaining unbeaten team. It's two weeks now they've been the only unbeaten. And they are the top dog. The number one ranking in the NFL Week 9 Power Rankings goes to the Steelers. They had that 28-24 win over Baltimore. And that makes Mike Tomlin the winningest African-American coach in NFL history, passing the previous leader, Tony Dungy. And I don't think this team's success is talked about with his name attached enough. Because I just mentioned that team last year that went 8-8, Obviously, the defense, a lot of those pieces were still there. A lot of those defensive pieces that we talk about this year were were a part of that team's success last year. But offensively, the addition to Claypool this year, uh, of Claypool, excuse me, was huge. That's another guy that's going to stretch out um, NFL defenses. Big Ben coming back. That cannot be understated as far as what type of impact he's had, not only on this team, but in the locker room. And some of the other controversy they went through last year for them to go eight and eight and they really barely missed out on a playoff berth. That was a team that people thought was going to have a rebuild. And I, mm-hmm. I hate that word now. I kind of hate that word. I hate saying rebuild because it's just ridiculous that they can go when they're supposed to have a rebuild. They go eight and eight when the Lions have a rebuild. They could go. What? I don't even know what. Winless.
2: I don't even know what you can consider a rebuild with the Lions at this point.
0: Uh, But one of the the telling things from uh, this past week from Pittsburgh was their defense led up a season-high 275 rushing yards against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. That is is a lot. Not only for the Pittsburgh defense. And we saw them um, snuff out Derrick Henry just a week prior. They did. Against the Tennessee Titans, we saw them really – uh, and especially in the first half. They took Derrick Henry basically out of the game for the Titans, and that was a huge reason for their success. Mm-hmm. So for them to play against the Ravens, who run admittedly a very different scheme than the Titans with that, really that type of triple option, NFL. it's very true. It's more of a college type. Yeah, exactly. It's really more prevalent it's in like college. Yeah, it is. And when you have guys like Ingram and uh, Lamar Jackson, and they have some weapons at tight end too that are mm-hmm. really prominent for their team. Um, they spread the ball around very well. But that Pittsburgh defense turned around and they made some key plays. The reason that they won this game, even though it was tight, it was a four point four point win here, they created four turnovers and they caused a plethora of problems, a plethora of problems for that Baltimore offense. One of those was actually a pick six off Lamar Jackson. And yeah. for me... That, that's what they're used to, though, is defense winning them winning them games. And when you get into the playoffs, they always talk about defense wins championships. And if that's so, Pittsburgh is in a great spot.
2: Exactly, and I I do think we're gonna see something similar to like the playoff run that happened in um, 2010. Yeah, obviously with the Steelers and then the Packers coming out, um, you know, in that Super Bowl. But I think it's probably gonna be uh, Pittsburgh, Chiefs, and Ravens kind of fighting for that spot. Okay, could toss in the Titans, you know judging off what run they might I would say have. this
0: this week for the Titans is going to be huge because exactly. they're coming off back-to-back losses. They have dropped quite a bit. Uh, we're going to need some to see some more consistent play out of their defense. It'll be interesting to see if they make any moves before that trade deadline yeah. and try and pick up any pieces for that defense.
2: But then on the NFC side, I really think it's really just going to boil down to the Packers and the Seahawks. Yeah? Yeah. I think that's just going to be the two teams. Whether or not um, Seahawks come out and they beat the Packers, um, I think that's going to be the story of what happens in the playoffs. Um, I know I remember last year, um, you know, Packers came out with that win um, over them in the divisionals, but um, it's all it's really going to be um, interesting to see what how this whole thing plays out, and you know who's going to come out in the Super Bowl.
0: I agree. And the Seahawks, we didn't really talk about them. They had a 10-point win over the 49ers. Who, the 49ers have seen a lot of up and down this season, especially mm-hmm. coming off of that um, Super Bowl appearance last year with Jimmy G and that that spectacular defense with that running game yeah. against the Packers, who had like 250 yards before even being touched mm-hmm. in that NFC Championship game. They've had an interesting year. They sit at 4-4 four and four right now after mm-hmm. that loss to the Seahawks. And this upcoming week for the 49ers is not going to be much better because they're actually without Kittle, Jimmy G, and a couple other P- key pieces, excuse me, not because of COVID, but because of injuries. Yeah. So that team is very, um, I think they have upwards of $80 million right now on the IR in terms of cap space.
2: Exactly. Bosa. I mean, yep. That's gone, that's true as well. Gone. So it's, I think the 49ers season is pretty much you know, in the can at this point, but. Seriously, it's hard to tell
0: the MVP for uh, Russ that train has started to pick up again after um, there was a week, you know, previously where they thought possibly he had lost kind of his edge. But he he really showed up in this uh, 49ers game, 27 for 37, 261 yards, four touchdowns, man, that right now he's the front runner and he's leading that team. I'd agree with you. They're going to be a definite favorite coming out of the NFC Yeah, for sure. But that's all we've got for today on Division One Rejects Episode 7. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you're watching, listening, maybe doing a little bit of both. Hope everyone had a great Halloween, watched some great college football, and uh, looking forward to this weekend's matchups. Thank you.